episode 101 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for more Knicks and NBA talk. We will get to updates on all of the playoff series in just a moment, but it's something I was hoping we wouldn't be talking about this episode, but the Knicks season is over. Tough way for the Knicks season to end a really bad week for the Knicks. Arguably their worst week in about two months. And it couldn't have come at a worse time. And the Knicks get bounced from the first round of the NBA playoffs. We'll get to the other series that have been decided. We'll get to the series in the first round that are still going in the second half of the show as well. But we start with the Knicks. Just, you know, I'm not going to go game by game here because the games felt so similar to one another. I, I don't really feel like doing that. <laughs> Um, because, you know, a lot of times when we do that, you know, it is to, you know, give you a better breakdown who did well, who didn't, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. You get a better idea of who's playing well, who's not, what needs to change, what's going well. These, these three, these three games, games, uh, three, four, and five all felt very similar, same issues, um, from game to game. You know, obviously the Knicks really had a good chance at winning game one. They let it slip through their fingers. That's the game of all, all of the five that I'd like to have back. I think I think if the Knicks had won that game and then went on to win game two, we'd be looking at a much different series. I, I really believe that. I don't know if the Knicks would have won any, any of the games in Atlanta, but I feel like we'd be looking at a three, two series going into game six, but the Knicks slowly, but surely lost confidence again, offensively in game five. And it, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. The Knicks did, Two things I think extremely uh, wrong in this series. Number one, they just never figured out how to get Julius Randle consistent looks where he felt comfortable. And you got to give Atlanta some credit for that. But I I think the Knicks really shot themselves in the foot with the way they were running offense at times, specifically in games four and five, where it just looked like it was one pass shot, one pass drive, kick, nobody open, where, you know, they looked indecisive. They looked indecisive. Coach Thibodeau noticed that, and it didn't change. It didn't change as the series moved on. And number two, and this is one I, I didn't expect to happen when I picked the Knicks to win the series, the, the Knicks could not figure out how to deal with Trey Young penetrating inside. They couldn't figure it out. They could not figure out how to stop Trey Young from making that dinky little floater from 10 feet out or, or further in inside the painted area and that was the difference in the series frankly the fact the fact that Trey Young had three straight 30 point games that was the big reason why he could do whatever he wanted in the paint and I'll tell you what when you see them play the Sixers my guess is that will be taken away I I think there's a very good chance that the Sixers will be able to stop Trey Young from doing that and frankly as good as he is as an outside shooter when you make Trey Young more of an outside shooter you shut down the Hawks' offense. That's essentially what happens. Because when he can drive, most of the time he will try to finish, but there's times where obviously he can get shooters involved as well. Drive and kick situations. When he can't do that, or when he doesn't do that as much as he shoots from the outside, the Hawks almost never win. And the Knicks could not figure it out. They, they could not figure out a way to stop him. And again, that's... You got to give credit to Atlanta for exploiting that, but 
It felt like another thing where the Knicks shot themselves in the foot. I felt specifically, listen, I think in Game 3, Atlanta outplayed the Knicks. I think the Knicks had a decent game in Game 3. They just got outplayed. But I thought Games 4 and 5, the Knicks shot themselves in the foot time and time again. They really did. I almost turned the game off in Game 4 with about 12, not 12, 10 minutes to go. Because it was mistake after mistake after mistake. And it was the same thing in Game 5. Midway through the third, the Knicks had a chance to get back into the game. At the beginning of the fourth, the Knicks had a chance to get back into the game. And they finally, after minutes of almost just letting the Hawks slowly build the lead, the Knicks finally cut it back down to single digits. And you're thinking, man, this is the last chance. we got to make a run here. And then the Knicks let the Hawks slowly but surely build the lead again. The Hawks gave the Knicks a ton of chances to win this series. They really did. They really did. Derrick Rose had his one-off night in Game 5. He had a phenomenal series. He really did. He should be commended. Derrick Rose was the only reason I think the Knicks even got a game in this series when you look back. Because Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, they were so inconsistent in this series. And I did not expect that, especially from Julius Randle. But it is what it is. You know, it's the, it's the first foray into the playoffs for everybody on this team, essentially, besides Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, and at times those were the two best players on the floor for the Knicks when you looked at it. They were the only ones that were keeping it, you know, calm, cool, and collected, not dealing with the trade nonsense or the John Collins nonsense. You know, the, the only the only frustrating thing that didn't involve the Knicks in Game 5 in particular were the refs were terrible in the first half. Some of the calls they made were some of the worst I've seen all postseason, and they all went against the Knicks. And then uh, on top of that, you look at the fact that the Knicks just couldn't shoot the ball well in the first half. So I could, I could complain about the Knicks. I should say I could, I could complain about the refs, especially in the first half, all I want. And I can complain about the Hawks flopping all I want, because that's all they did in the first half of Game 5 was flop. Trey Young flopped three times in the first half. He flopped another three times in the third quarter. John Collins was flopping. DeAndre Hunter was flopping. It, it was it was frankly disgraceful what the Hawks were trying to do. Most of the time it worked. They got calls, and that's what I hate about the NBA is when teams feel like they have to do that or feel like they can exploit that. It's absolutely ridiculous. But with that being said, I, I that that's all I could say because the Knicks did, did not take advantage of anything the Hawks gave them. And they, they were not composed, specifically in the second quarter and the third quarter. Now, to be fair, the refs were terrible. But then again, I, the refs could have given all those calls to the Hawks and the Knicks weren't going to win last night. They weren't going to win game five. The Knicks did not do enough in this series to take advantage of what the Hawks gave them. They didn't. And I think part of that's inexperience. I think part of that is a first you know trip to the NBA playoffs with this group. And listen, Tom Thibodeau knew what the issues were. He knew exactly what was going on. But his guys weren't, weren't doing what they needed to do to adjust to what was happening to them. And that was the difference in the series. In the end, I, I don't th- again, Trey Young was great. He wasn't great enough to win the series if the Knicks had played at their best, in my opinion. I, I really don't... I, 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 think, I think we'd be talking about a game six with the Knicks up 3-2 if the Knicks had made the adjustments they needed to make. I really believe that. I really believe that. But 
too little too little too late you got to give the hawks the credit that they deserve to be fair the hawks were fantastic defensively for for a good chunk of game five and really in my opinion the, the swing game in this series game three the hawks were great defensively in game three they really were and and the knicks were not good enough on the offensive end to make any adjustments so i think you give the hawks their credit but i think the knicks you know, have to be disappointed. You should not be losing three straight games to this team to end the season. I think that's something that any Nick fan would say. With all that being said, this was a phenomenal season for the Knicks. A phenomenal season. They finished as the fourth seed. They made it to the NBA playoffs for the first time since 2013 under a first-year head coach, mind you. Again, it's Tom Thibodeau. He's done this before, but it's under a first-year head coach. That's a big deal. To get there in Tom Thibodeau's first year is a massive step for this team. They won their first playoff game since 2013. That's another big deal. It would have been a lot worse if the Knicks had gotten swept. There's a lot of good boxes checked off. Julius Randle was an all-star this year. Emmanuel quickly had a phenomenal rookie campaign. It was the only guy sparking the team down the stretch in Game 5 last night. Derrick Rose can still be a big factor on this team in the NBA. Nerlens Noel was phenomenal defensively this season in place of Mitchell Robinson. He was unbelievably good. RJ Barrett had a phenomenal second season, and made the NBA playoffs as a 20-year-old. That's a big deal. He didn't play great, but he got some playoff experience. That's a big deal. And by the way, he got to the playoffs before Zion Williamson did. I'm not sure how many people had that when those two were drafted by the respective teams they were taken by. So kudos to R.J. Barrett for that. That's a big deal. On top of that, Reggie Bullock had a phenomenal season. He looks like he could be a cornerstone piece on this Knicks team moving forward as a shooter. I really love some of these bench guys that the Knicks have had, but they need more. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson being out didn't help. But you're looking at the playoffs, the Knicks will need to make some some big decisions on Alfred Payton, on Frank Nilakina, on Kevin Knox, guys that didn't factor at all in the playoffs. The fact that Alfred Payton got benched midway through the series tells you all you need to know about his future with the Knicks. It's not looking too good right now. Because if Derrick Rose can keep doing what Derrick Rose does and you can grab another guard here, you're going to do it. That's probably the biggest thing right off the bat the Knicks have to do during this offseason is finding another guard. Because as great as Derrick Rose was in the playoffs... He's getting up there. You're going to need to move on from him at some point. And that was the difference in the series. When Derrick Rose wasn't on the floor, the Knicks guards were getting absolutely walloped by Trey Young. Another huge difference maker in the series. So the Knicks have a lot to address. They have a lot to look at. But they're in a phenomenal position. They have cap space. They have a young core. That at times looked really good in this postseason, despite their inexperience. But it showed up specifically in games four and five where the Knicks looked like they were gassed at times offensively, 
weren't as solid defensively as we've seen them against the Hawks this season and against the other good teams in the NBA. So Tom Thibodeau and company are going to have a lot to think about during this offseason. I'm not going to dive deep into what you know the Knicks wants and needs should be. The draft is still a ways off. We will get to that. We will talk about some of that stuff. What the Knicks could address. What the Knicks need to improve on. Personnel-wise, what they can add. Because again, I think the backcourt's the first place you look. I think you need another guard. I think you need another shooter. Because it doesn't look like Kevin Knox is going to be that guy right now. He did not feature much at all down the stretch and in the playoffs. So these are the kind of decisions right off the bat. Mitchell Robinson being back in the fold should be a huge boost for the front court. Again, he's inexperienced, but I think he would have made a big, maybe not a, you know, a, a series-changing difference in this series. But I think having him as a depth piece before or behind Nerlens Noel makes a big difference and at least maybe grabs the next another game in this series, in my opinion. So that's already one step right, right there. But it's another kind of thing where you're looking at what the Knicks can do during this offseason. You know, three things come to mind, and this, you know, we won't dive too much deeper. You got to address the backcourt. You need more depth on the bench as far as shooting, and maybe even a little bit more defense at times as far as the depth in the in the backcourt. But then you also need to see if you can attract a, a big time star. You know, the Knicks have made a statement this season. They really have. Now you start to look elsewhere and see, can you attract anybody again? You have the cap space now to add another big piece alongside Julius Randle. You really have an opportunity to do that. And again, I really don't want to hear this, you know, uh, people jumping off the Julius Randle bandwagon over, you know, one bad postseason. It wasn't awful. He played well at times. He just didn't have the decision-making he needed to be the alpha male on the team in the playoffs because he was being hounded. He's being double teamed every time down the floor. They tried as best they could to take him away. And they, and they, the Hawks succeeded because the Knicks don't have besides Derrick Rose, another big time piece. And Derrick Rose is not in his prime. So I, I, the Hawks exploited that very well. And, and I think that's something that the Knicks will have to address if they can with the money they have available to them during the off season. And I, and I think it's something that to- coach Thibodeau is probably already thinking about. So is Leon Rose. So is Worldwide West. So is the entire, you know, Scott Perry. The entire front office, I'm sure, is already hard at work seeing what they can do. And that's, to, to be honest, that made me sleep well last night, thinking about that. That this, these guys, this group with the head coach in the front office is probably already brainstorming what they're going to be doing to, to move this team further down the road. That made me feel better about the Knicks going out last night the way they did. Because the Knicks shouldn't have been there. You, you look at the way the season started under under Tom Thibodeau, even before the season, nobody had the Knicks making the playoffs. I didn't have the Knicks making the playoffs. You didn't have the Knicks making the playoffs. And the fact that they did as the four seed and just ran into a Hawks team that was more cohesive, was better offensively, and has a, has a better star at a better position, and I was saying this to a buddy last night, guards that are fast get get the calls in the NBA. It's frustrating, but it's true. I mean, the, the, one, the one that made me literally almost throw something through a wall last night watching the game was Julius Randle gets a pump fake, gets knocked into by John Collins, 
on a three and gets called for an offensive foul for initiating the contact. Two seconds later, Trey Young pump fakes, jumps into a guy, gets the foul call. He gets three shots. Guards get those calls. It's not right. It's the truth. So the Knicks definitely need to address that during the offseason. Again, Derek Rose, it's no knock on him. He was phenomenal. We're going to see more from Emmanuel quickly as well next year, and I can't wait for that. He showed some signs in, in games one, two, and five at the Garden that he is going to be part of this team moving forward. I would like to have seen a little bit more from him on the road, but he's a rookie, and the, and the, so those those you know those role players on the road don't tend to really get the chance to play as well because you're relying more on option A. Julius Randle, option B, Derrick Rose, option C, R.J. Barrett. So it's it's one of those things where he got to shine at home, Emmanuel, quickly, but hopefully next year he grows into an even more important role on this team. And that, and still, you still got to address that position. I think even with Rose and quickly, you still need another guard, potentially a star guard, to be with that group, but... The future is still bright for this New York Knicks team, despite the way it ended last night. And I'm still thrilled to say that because it's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. And Tom Thibodeau's got this team going in the right direction. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Um, One more quick thing, because then we got to take a break and then we'll dive into the other series on the backside. I think Tom Thibodeau... Listen, he, he he needs to be coach of the year. I understand. Well, first of all, playoffs don't matter. We don't need to include the playoffs in this discussion. I get the talk for, for some of the other candidates. I really do. And I I, I, I just feel like... Because I, I have a bad feeling he's not going to win. Because I think they might give it to Monty Williams at Phoenix. Phoenix was supposed to make the playoffs this year and they were supposed to maybe not the two seed but they're supposed to be a a high seed maybe a four or five seed this year many people had them and, and by the way that's something else i got to do at some point on this show is look back at my preseason predictions i forgot to do that and give you you know how close i got how far away i was on some of these preseason picks i might do that next episode actually depending on how the playoffs are going but you look at what Tom Thibodeau has done with a team that wasn't supposed to make the playoffs, with a team that many people thought was two years away from even making the playoffs. And not only did he make it, he got home court advantage at the Garden for the first round. He developed Julius Randle. He developed R.J. Barrett. He developed Emmanuel quickly. I, I, I think there's no debate. I'm biased when I say that. But from the people I've talked to, Knicks fans and not Knicks fans, it seems almost unanimous that it should be Tom Thibodeau, but it looks like it's going to be Monty Williams. To be honest, I've missed, I've been so enveloped in the playoffs, I don't even know if they announced I know they announced that Julius Randle was the most improved player. That's a big deal. I don't know if, they, if they've announced Coach of the Year or anything like that, MVP. I know they haven't yet, so... I, I, I think Tom Thibodeau, this is my last like kind of rallying cry for Tom Thibodeau to be the the NBA coach of the year. He deserves it more than any of them. I hate to say that because Monty Williams and Quinn Snyder and all these guys have had great seasons, but they didn't pick up the franchise from where where the Knicks were and get them to the playoffs. 
against all the odds, really. Nobody thought the Knicks would be there. The Knicks were a home court team in the first round. Give it to Tom Thibodeau, please, NBA. He deserves it. All right, let me take a break here. When we come back, what's going on in the rest of the series? I'm down here in South Florida. We'll touch on the Heat. We'll touch on the Clippers. We'll, t- we'll get to everything that's going on. We'll get to we'll get to the double nickel from Damian Lillard. All that's coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Where are we going to start here? I, I mean, th- there's so much happening in the NBA playoffs at the moment. It's tough to figure out where to start because the storylines are all over the place. Let's start with the series that are already done. We'll start in the East. The East is out now completely done. So the Hawks have moved on. The Sixers, despite losing Joel Embiid in game four to a part, I think it's a, it's like a slight tear that he's got at the moment, a slight muscle tear, not good for him at the moment. Um, forgive me, I forget what, what the injury is exactly. He missed game four, he missed game five. The Wizards won game four at home, but the Sixers, without Embiid, won game five in Philly to eliminate the Washington Wizards. So Beal and Westbrook are gone, and it's going to be Sixers-Hawks in the first round. Now, this uh, he looked good in warm-ups, Joel Embiid did, before game five, right? But this is a huge blow for the Sixers' title hopes. I, I think they'll probably still beat the Hawks. Because I don't think the Hawks have have enough size to deal with the Sixers, but and they don't have enough you know stars on their team. I mean, even without Embiid, Harris and Ben Simmons should be enough to beat the Hawks in a seven game series. But you look long term down the road, right? The Sixers they're not they're not getting to the finals without Embiid. It's and without Embiid healthy, it's not happening. So this is a big blow for their title hopes. If Embiid is dealing with this the rest of the postseason, which he's going to be. And and I think Shaq said it on Inside last night, and I've heard it from other people, other journalists as well on Twitter. This injury is going to only get worse if Embiid continues to play on it. This is not an injury that's going to stay the way it is or it's, not, or it's going to get better. If he keeps playing, it's going to get worse. So the Sixers are in a tough spot with this injury. And regardless of how they do against Atlanta, they're going to have a really tough time with or without him or with him injured, I should say, against the winner of Brooklyn-Milwaukee. It's just a given at this point. Let's quickly touch on the Milwaukee series. It was the first series to end. I I think if anybody told you that the Heat were going to be the first team out of the NBA playoffs, uh, I'm not sure anybody would have bought that. They're the only team um, that didn't win a game in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I I think if anybody had told you that, um, they would not have believed you, including myself. I had the Heat winning in seven. They didn't win a game, and the Bucs swept them pretty convincingly out of the NBA playoffs. Games three and four in Miami were a tough watch. The Heat did not show up. And despite Jason Tatum dropping 50 on the Nets in game three, The Nets put the Celtics away despite bottles being thrown at Kyrie Irving in games four and five. He only got the bottle once, but enough said. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, too much for the Jalen Brownless 
Boston Celtics. And then this crazy news with Danny Ainge retiring and Brad Stevens moving up to take the spot in the front office while the Celtics now don't have a head coach. Very odd decision. Uh, So the Celtics are in a bit of limbo going into the offseason without Danny Ainge and really without Brad Stevens in his normal role on the team either. They now need a head coach, and they have the head coach, I think, but now he's going to be making front office decisions. A really odd move for Boston, and now with them out of the playoffs in five games, there's going to be a lot to talk about with them going into the offseason. So it's Brooklyn and Milwaukee. It's Philly and Atlanta. I, I think that Brooklyn-Milwaukee series is going to be very, very juicy. Two big threes. Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday. Kyrie, KD, James Harden. A lot of men enter. Only three and their teammates are walking out. I, this is a really good series. I, I, I don't know who's going to win. I think I picked the Bucks. I'm sorry, I picked the Heat to to get there, pardon me. Um, So I I didn't see this series coming, but it's a really good series. And I think the way the Nets have been playing, they have to be the favorites, but I think the way the Bucs have been defending so far this postseason, I could see the Bucs winning this series. I I really could. The the Bucs have surprised me a lot. Um, I know the Heat just did not show up in games three and four. I think that that's worth mentioning. But the Bucks did not give them any way back in. I think that that's a big deal. The 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 Nets should have swept the Celtics. They just had a 50-burger dropped on them by Jason Tatum in Game 3. And he wasn't going to do that to them every night. So I, I think the Nets are in good shape. It could go seven games. I, I think if Joel Embiid plays against the Hawks, I think that series probably goes five or six in Philly's favor. But again, we don't know what that injury. It's really it's such a tough thing to gauge because we don't know how often Joel Embiid's going to play. So listen, I think when you look at the East at the moment, it's going to be two fun series. The Hawks are going to have a really good chance with Embiid dealing with an injury. I still think regardless, I think the Sixers still win in six, but I think the Hawks are going to, they, they could give them a tough time if they're playing, if they played as well defensively against the Knicks as they do against the Sixers, which is going to be tough. Sixers have a couple of tough, you know, stars even if MB doesn't play, that they're going to have to deal with. It, it's still going to be a, a tough series for Philly if MB is not there or is not 100%, which at this point is a pretty good shot that he won't be. So really intriguing in the Eastern Conference. I think Philly probably wins, and I'm going to give the edge to Milwaukee in the other series. And I'll say this, the winner of the Brooklyn-Milwaukee series is probably the team that's getting to the finals. I, I don't think Philly's going to get there. And I think either the, I think the Nets or the Bucks would be licking their chops at the prospects of facing Atlanta in the East Finals. So we'll see. We will see how it goes. But for the time being, Philly dealing with the Embiid injury is a huge story, and the Bucks Nets series should be a blockbuster. I'm really looking forward to that series. Despite all that, I'd argue there's even more drama out West. Only one series is done. The rest of the series are still going. We have, the obviously, the, the Jazz knocking out the Grizzlies last night. And I remember telling this to a buddy of mine and a, and, a, and a couple people that I've been keeping in touch with about these playoffs. 
As soon as Donovan Mitchell came back after game one, I didn't expect the Grizz to get another game in this series, and that's exactly what happened. They put up a heck of a fight in Memphis. They really brought back, you know, those feelings we used to have watching Mike Connolly Jr., of course, now with the Jazz, Zach Randolph, you know, that that grind city kind of mentality, the grindhouse, the 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 really, you know, Tony Allen, the grindfather, the 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 really tough to deal with. Memphis defense that was so good for for years. We got some of that feeling back in the building. It's a different team, different style of play, different stars. They had to face an old star in Mike Connolly Jr., who's now looking like he's going to be a really big part of this Utah Jazz team moving forward. But in the end, Donovan Mitchell was the difference, as I expected, in this series. He came back, and, and Utah didn't really look back in this series the Grizz are a team for the future 100% listen that's the coolest part about these NBA playoffs we saw probably three or four teams for the future you know going forward in Memphis you know you look at even though they're still playing Dallas the Knicks the Hawks like there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to with those teams down the road and that's a really cool thing for the NBA but the Grizzlies are out the Jazz in five advance. They will get the winner of arguably the most intriguing series left, the Clippers and the Mavericks, where the home team just can't get a game in this series. Five games have been played. The road teams won all five. It's the first time since 1990 that it's happened. The, uh, the Spurs and the Rockets, when it was Robinson and, and Akeem Olajuwon going after each other. Second time in NBA history, just those two times it's happened where the road team has won every game. It's happened in other sports. The World Series, I think, in 2019, the road team won every game in a seven-game series. And the the Nationals beat the Astros. So it's happened in other sports, but only twice has it happened this deep into a series in the NBA. It shows you just how tough it can be when you don't have home court but in this series, home court has is, is been in a non-factor so far. The Jazz, excuse me, not the Jazz, the Mavs won the first two in LA. And it looked like the Clippers were done. I, ta- I said last show, it looked like it was over. The era, uh, this era of Clippers basketball was in serious jeopardy. But they bounced back. They won both games in Dallas. Kawhi looked great. Paul George looked great. Tyron Lue looked like a genius. Except when he was looking to review something and forgot that he was the head coach for a second and had to be reminded by his assistants how many timeouts he had. That was embarrassing. But in the end, they won both, and then they had a huge opportunity in Game 5 to take full control of the series. And instead, Dallas wins for a third straight game at the Staples Center, and the Mavs go back home for Game 6 in Dallas with a chance to finish off the Clippers Frankly, I don't know what's going to happen. I I could easily see the Clippers forcing a game seven and keeping this crazy road thing alive. But I I think if Luka can keep keep playing through this injury that he's playing through, it looks like it's a neck or a back or something like that. It's it's a crazy, uh, crazy thing that he's been doing. He put up 42, I think, again last night. I think Dallas probably will win this series. I really do. I think they're probably going to go on and finish this off. It's 
It does feel like a series that could go the distance. It really can. But we'll have to see. We will have to see going forward with them. Dallas would be a very interesting matchup for Utah in the second round. I, listen, I, it's hard to trust the Clippers. It's so hard to trust them. Just when you think they've flopped, they figure it out. And just when you think they've figured it out, they flop again. So it's a really tough team to gauge under Tyron Lue, who just doesn't seem to be able to figure them out in the postseason. It had to motivate them, how to keep them engaged. Something's up. I don't know how they're going to deal with it, but we'll see. Game six is going to be a huge telltale sign for how the Clippers go moving forward because that was a huge win for Dallas in game five. So Dallas has the edge going back to Dallas for game six. And I, and I think the Dallas probably finishes it off. I, I don't know if the Clippers can keep this whole road thing going. If they do, it'll be a heck of a story. But for the time being, Dallas, for the second show running at least, is in control of this series. But then again, we could have a totally different narrative by the time I next talk to you guys about this series next week. And that's the thing. There's still two other really good series in the West. That Denver-Portland game the other night, that double overtime game five was insane. Damian Lillard dropped 55 in a couple of huge shots in at the end of regulation and in overtime. Double overtime it went. Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., even without Jamal Murray, Denver pulls out a classic game five encounter in double OT, and they've got the advantage 3-2 in the series Denver had a big lead at one point they let it get down they gave Portland a big chance late they took it went to overtime Looked like Denver was going to win it again in overtime Damian Lillard said no it's Dame time he hit another big shot double overtime Denver finally polished off Portland to take a 3-2 series lead uh, this series is is far from over. I think Portland could really put a hurting on Denver for some revenge in Game 6 and and send this to a Game 7. I, I think that if Denver wins in, in 6, it's going to be a heck of an effort. I think they're going to they're gonna have to pull Damian Lillard off the floor physically by his jersey if they're going to want to win Game 6. He's gonna, he will not let it stand again. I, I think he's going to have an unbelievable performance. C.J. McCollum is going to be ready. The role players at home who had a big game four. I think we'll be back for game six. I still, I still feel like Denver wins. I had Denver in seven at the beginning of this series. I think it's going to be Denver in seven at the end of this series. I, I think Portland wins game six. I, I feel pretty comfortable that they're going to force a game seven. However, I, I also feel just as comfortable that Denver's going to beat them in game seven and move on to the next round. But with Damian Lillard, with Nikola Jokic, uh, it, it's basically two MVP calibers going at it. Who knows? Nikola Jokic could go off in game six and end this series. Damian Lillard could absolutely rampage everybody and win this series in seven. It, it, it really is as close, as close to a coin flip as we have left in the first round, but I got a feeling that Denver is going to win. I, I think Denver is going to win this series in seven games. And I think that they will earn a hard-fought victory. And they'll get the winner of our last series to go over. Phoenix and the Lakers. So, yeah. Anthony Davis. Um, <laughs> tough, tough thing to gauge. This, this is a series that's really, in my opinion, 
hinging on his health. Uh, if he is 100%, I think the Lakers could still very well win this series. If he's not, and forget about if he plays, if you saw Game 5, you know what I'm talking about. I think the Phoenix Suns are going to win this series. I had them winning it, um, I believe, in 6. Uh, before the series started, I thought they would win this series. They've got the chance. They're 3-2 up. They've absolutely uh, lambasted the Lakers in Game 5. It was an absolute blowout, a laughingstock kind of game. It was embarrassing for LeBron and company. 30-point beatdown. It was actually a 36-point lead at one point. Um, Chris Paul had a little bit of an, a shoulder deal again. But it looks like he'll be ready for game six. LeBron has never lost in a first round series in his career. He's had 14 chances. He's won 14 of them. To be fair, none of them against teams this good. But this is a big game six for LeBron James. And to be fair, this feels like a game where if AD's playing or not, that LeBron could maybe get this done. But I thought that was the case in game five. And the Suns absolutely blitzed the Lakers. So, this is a tough... Game 6 is kind of tough to call. However, I think Phoenix wins this series regardless. I think if AD even comes back for Game 7, I think the Phoenix Suns still win. Um, because I don't think AD is going to be at 100%. I, I think at this late in the season, I'm not sure, right? Now, the other issue is I think the Lakers could be in big trouble in Game 6. I really do. Whether AD's at 100, or I should say whether AD plays at, you know, close to 100% or, or he doesn't play at all, obviously it'd be a lot bigger for the Suns if he didn't play. But the Suns, I think, are riding really high after that Game 5, and I think they smell some blood in the water. I really do. This is a wounded Laker team. I, I think that, listen, you can't, it's tough to bet against LeBron. I get it. Even without AD, you'd expect LeBron to take Game 5 personally. He'll be ready for game six. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a really good game. He's done it time and time again. But if AD doesn't play, I, I still think the Suns beat them. I really do. And I, and I think if it goes to seven, I, I think at home, I think Phoenix wins regardless. I, I do. I, I think the Suns are going to finish this series up. And I, I think the defending champs are going to go out. I think there's going to be a lot of question marks about where they stand moving forward in this season. I should say going into next season. There's a lot to be discussed about Frank Vogel's Lakers with LeBron, AD, and company. Because again, when they're fully healthy, we saw it in this series in Game 2 and in Game 3, the Lakers look like world beaters when they're at both at 100%, LeBron and AD. But when they're not, when they're not at 100% or when one of them's out, this looks like a very ordinary team. And I think if AD's out for Game 6, I think there's a very good chance the Suns win it in the Staples Center. And I think Chris Paul, if he and again, if Chris Paul wins this series and knocks LeBron out in the first round and gets one over on LeBron and ends this perfect run LeBron has had in first round series, this is a big legacy thing for Chris Paul. Massive. You know, these, these banana boat, this banana boat crew with Dwayne Wade, Mello, and Chris Paul, none of them have knocked LeBron out. That I remember. 
Dwayne Wade may have. I'm not sure. I don't remember the if they if Cleveland and Miami really ever played each other when they were on separate sides. But I think I just think of them when they were teammates. That point aside, this is a big deal. If Chris Paul knocks out LeBron James, you you want to talk about legacy building? That's how you build a legacy. You knock LeBron out in the first round and send the defending champs home. That's how you do it. So Chris Paul has got a big opportunity with this Phoenix Suns team, and I think if they win, they're going to have a good shot at getting to the to the Western Conference Finals. I think Denver or Portland would be a welcome matchup for the Phoenix Suns in the second round. So we'll see. We will see. But for the time being, Phoenix is in the driver's seat, and they're looking to finish off the Lakers in Game 6. Very, very interesting to see how that turns out. You guys will know how some of these games turn out. Obviously, I record on the Thursday, as always. Some of these games are happening on Thursday. I haven't seen them yet, but you guys will know. I'm just breaking them down for you, and then we will talk about how the series are looking second round and obviously how the first round series end going into next week. But that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Guys, thank you so much, as always, for listening. Next week, we'll talk more Knicks offseason stuff. We will talk maybe a little draft. If you guys, you guys always seem to love when we talk draft on this show. We might talk a little draft. And we'll see how the NBA playoffs are going, going into the second round in the East and the Western Conference playoff series. Until then, have a great week, and I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.